Hello there, everyone. Welcome to the TSG Podcast. Just a huge disclaimer before we begin that all content produced on this channel is for education and entertainment purposes only. Enjoy the episode. All right, everyone. Welcome back. Good morning. Good morning. And so today, Sean, you are here with me and we mm-hmm. have a book review. This is yeah. amazing. This is our first book review. <laughs> All right. All right. So what, uh, okay, what is the book that you wanted to talk about today? Because I'm super excited and just give us the rundown what the book is. The book is called Wanting by Luke Burgess. Okay, um, Wanting by Luke Burgess. Cool. Yes, Burgess, B-U-R-G-I-S. Oh, Burgess, um, got it. Yeah, and the book is about the philosophy of a man named René Girard. So René Girard worked, uh, he was at Stanford for a long time. I think he, he was uh, an academic in France and then he moved to Stanford for later in his life. Um, okay. Uh, one of his students was PayPal founder, Peter Thiel. Oh. Um, yeah. So, and he very, very much influenced uh, Peter Thiel's philosophy. Peter Thiel brings him up on a regular basis. And, okay. uh, and I, I had heard of him, but for a long time, the only way to dive into Rene Girard's thought would be either to sort of skim through Wikipedia and try to draw, you know, try to get an, an idea of it, or um, to dive into uh, Rene Girard's writings, which are, you know, more than I would have wanted to dive into. Okay. Um, so so but, really quickly, really quickly before mm-hmm. we continue. Okay, why did you want to go into understanding more of Rene Girard? I mean, what what was the whole premise? Was it because Peter Thiel was one of the co-founder and you wanted to know who influenced his thinking or how, how did um, it come about? Well, I would be watching say like an interview with with Peter Thiel and then he mm-hmm. would talk about uh he would say a few sentences about Girard. He would oh. say you know, things about um, Girard's thoughts regarding uh, how people influence each other and how, mm. I don't know how he would put it, but um, how Girard talked about desire. But he would just say something brief and then move on. And so um, so very it would spark non- my curiosity. Huh. So he was very nonchalant about it. He was just like, oh, yeah, yeah. Girard did this, said this, and that, and yeah. then continue on. Okay. But he would say that, you know, it really heavily influenced his thinking. Hmm. Interesting. And yeah. so why 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 did you find that so important? I mean, we our podcast is all about investing and trying to connect it with the game of go, but mostly investing. And so what 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 is it about the human behavior that really or at least human thinking that that uh, that caught your attention when Peter Thiel was talking about it. Is Peter Thiel a capital venture person or yes. what is was okay. Yes. He okay. Peter Thiel was the uh founder of PayPal. Mm-hmm. Uh he they had a direct competitor which was run by Elon Musk. Okay. And then the two of them merged their companies okay. and formed PayPal. Huh. And um that's a fairly interesting story. I haven't dug all the way into it, but I know that there's a there's a whole story around PayPal, and basically a ton of founders mm-hmm. came out of PayPal. You know, the founder of YouTube, the founder of LinkedIn, wow, Palantir, and so on, like a bunch of them. Wow. Um. Yeah, and so you know, Peter Thiel was always an interesting guy. I would watch interviews with him, and he mm-hmm. always had interesting stuff to say. Um, but he never said a lot about Girard, but he always said enough to really pique my interest. And right. I don't know exactly what he said, but I would, a couple of times I went out to Wikipedia mm-hmm. and there was kind of just too much going on there mm-hmm. for me to really draw the essence. But luckily uh, along came a book by Luke Burgess, who basically mm-hmm. uh, distilled it down. And so mm-hmm. I would recommend the book. But uh, we are going to talk about some of the ideas in the book. Okay. Today. I'm excited. Okay. So book time. All right. What did you find interesting about the book Wanting? Or what concepts? Or was it well-written? How was it for you? Uh, it was well-written. And um, it really, I mean, the best thing about it is, uh, I think, Rene Girard's ideas, which Luke uh, breaks down pretty clearly. So we 
uh, we all have our desires and many of us think that um, our desires is just a very simple example of us wanting the thing. There's an object out there. I want it. That's how desire works. Girard had a view that desire actually includes a third actor, which you could call the model. Okay. We see other people acting out their desires. Okay. And then we want to either mimic them mm-hmm. or do the opposite of them if we don't like that person. And and our brains are deeply wired to do this. If you've ever uh, you know, interacted with children, you'll see that they are in some ways they're like copying. They really want to do the things mm-hmm. that mommy and daddy are doing mm-hmm. and say the things, you know, they're they're kind of copying machines. Mm-hmm. Um, and Girard believes that this is that pretty much all of human desire and all of human activity is is shot through with with people either copying each other positively or Mm -hmm. negatively trying to do the opposite of what other people are doing okay um you can see this in sports where people have their own sports team and then they have a rival um i mean really just everything the more you know the more you dig into it the more you find that this is uh what I found is that this is what I've been doing since I was a little kid, honestly. I mean, a lot of people have been doing this. So desire comes from a sort of triangular relationship from a su- you, the subject, and then there's a model, and then there's the object. Um, now, we society starts to run into problems when we all want the same thing. Um, and people and and so society creates uh homogenizing forces people start to mimic each other and sort of do the same things and want the same things but then there develops this pressure to want to do the same things too much in a way and people begin to revolt they begin to fight to differentiate themselves Mm, okay i can Um, see that so while technology is bringing the world closer together it's bringing our desires closer together and amplifying conflict Mm. um which is interesting because a lot of the original you know the tech founders and visionaries thought that i'm going to bring the world together and then there will be this explosion of peace and harmony and creativity and like a renaissance because of, because I invented Facebook or whatever, you know, and then we got the opposite and everyone's kind of scratching their heads. Like what's going on? Why is everybody more angry? You know? And I think it's because we've all come onto the same playing field and everything just looks zero sum, you know? Mm. Yeah. No, that's, that's actually really interesting because just building on top of what you just said that everyone wants to be like other people at least in in the general sense right not specifically but that's the behavior that we see in schools all the time we see you know people form their own cliques own group and within that group you kind of start melding together and start being like the group right and uh i i think it really does go down to more of a genetic behavior because i'm a science guy so i i think of this in more of a biological sense but i think it's more of a genetic kind of thing where we're programmed to be sociable creatures, right? Mm-hmm. And we we find safety being together, right? As social creatures, we're not going to be out in the wilderness alone by ourselves when we're very vulnerable to other uh, creatures that you know could potentially hunt us. And so we've developed that innate instinct to really be with the group. And so just building on that survival instinct, I think that kind of carries on to now not only are you going to be a part of the group and you know you have to help each other out and everything but it's now more so melding together the the behaviors the you know the likes the dislikes and have the same type of thinking because if you're not with us then you're not part of the group 
And I think innately, we all want to identify with uh, being a part of something. And with whole Instagram, social media, you know, showing us there are different lifestyles out there that, you know, we strive to be on. And that's the whole thing about Instagram, right? People are posting their own these private jets, you know, who knows what the, how they got it. They probably rented it for a day or probably did like a green screen. I don't know. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's like you want something that you can't have. And so you're going to try to start going together and building each other uh, at least to to match with that social construct. And if you can't do it, then you're going to try to, you know, make it uh, fake it until you make it kind of mentality. And I think we actually see this a lot in the investing world as well, um, just with the whole idea of crypto, right? You know, uh, crypto, Bitcoin, and, and the huge trends. I'm not, not trying to single out the cryptocurrency market right now, but it's just the huge trends in general that, you know, we feel kind of pressure. Like if everyone's going into cryptocurrency and, you know, you hear your neighbors, you hear your boss, you hear your uh, coworkers say, hey, you're not in this. You're going to be missing out. I mean, I'm, I'm in it. I'm making money right now. And so you, you get that pressure. And I think that was the pressure you were kind of talking about. Uh, it's a bit more extrapolated, but it, it builds on that idea that we have to, you know, it, it's a fear of missing out, fear of being alone, fear of being outcasted uh, type of type of thing. So uh, at least that's how I'm I'm seeing what you're saying right now. Uh, that that's that, Those yeah. are the thoughts that are coming to my mind. So, yeah, that's that's totally right. Um, in the book, he brought up uh, something that C.S. Lewis wrote about oh. this invisible system he called the inner ring Mm -hmm. the inner ring is sort of like the cool people right it's like this Mm -hmm. this inner circle of of people you see them interacting and you just want to be a part of it you Mm -hmm. know and i think that does go back to sort of our evolutionary history where uh, having a group meant surviving and thriving you know Mm -hmm. and then you want to be part of that that cool group Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I've, I've noticed it's not just crypto. It's, it's, there's this trends in general, right? Yeah. Trends in general. I mean, I think I've brought up the, the long-term debt cycle, Ray Dalio's idea of the long-term debt cycle. I bring that up a lot because we are in a moment in the world and in the markets where everyone is sort of in a gambling mode. Yes. And I see this even in stock investing. Like this morning, there was a headline that said something about uh, Snap. The company Snap is going down <laughs> dramatically. And yeah. it said like uh, the market is, is you know, spooked on about this and Tesla shares have gone down because Snap gone, went down. And it's like, it's like, why? <laughs> well, it, it's not only Snap. I, I think we read the same article, but they also said that it's technology in general because snap is a part of the technology sector so Mm -hmm. if snap is going down now people are not only looking at tesla which is what you saw but it's also google facebook meta or is it meta or facebook now meta right meta Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's how often i keep up with these big name tech stocks um and and all of that that's all lumped into one and so uh, it, it, it's 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 crazy how people are are piling in their emotion, their fear in tech, and it's drastically hitting all the tech sector. I mean, just overall, it, it's amazing how how the the market just fluctuated like that within a span of one week. Uh, yeah, and, and crazy. To me, it's like an example of people not thinking for themselves because, mm-hmm. like, you know, I've been I've worked in IT and worked in tech for a long time, and when I hear about tech companies. Mm-hmm. they're all so different to me yeah. you know it's like like google and facebook are like 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 venus and jupiter like they're mm-hmm. just completely different universes of mm-hmm. technology to me and people lumping them together it's very strange but i think it's this result that everyone's just kind of running around like a like a herd of of animals and just getting spooked in this direction and spooked in that direction mm-hmm it could it could be you know where we are also a part of that right into certain certain sectors certain events like uh and i think it's it goes to the idea that i'm not confident in my own ability to understand what's going on so i'm going to trust and this builds on the trust 
of experts out there. I, I believe in this person, what they're saying, because they've done their homework, they've done their thing. And so with that, you know, I, 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 I feel confident that they're, they, they're out, their research is what's best for my case. And I don't need to put in the time. I don't need to put in the work. I'm just going to follow what they're doing. And I think that's, you know, a lot, we all have that kind of intention. It's like, Hey, we want to second guess our work or we, we just don't want to deal with it because we don't know how. And I, I think that's majority, if not almost everyone uh, in terms of, especially in the investing world, because it's so gosh darn complicated, this, this investing stuff. So anyways, I'm going on a tangent. So. Mm-hmm. No, it's a good tangent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I think that's what's really going on. And, and that's why we see such speculative moves. And, and you know, um, I refer back to my value investing practice where I'm reading The Intelligent Investor, which is, you know, the book that almost everybody has read or seen or heard of if they're going into the investing realm. And the first chapter of The Intelligent Investor describes the idea of what it means to actually invest versus what it means to speculate. And just to briefly describe, speculation means that you're just going in willy-nilly without doing much research and and going in based on more so emotion versus investments. Actually, you're putting in about 20 hours, 50 hours, 100 hours, whatever, many hours that you need to put in to understanding the sector, the industry, the company that you want to put your money into. And with understanding with doing homework and having the best chance possible, you're going to come to a conclusion whether or not you want to put your money in or not based on a probability standpoint, something like that. And so anyways, off topic, let's go back to the wanting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yes, uh, I do agree that with you that the whole entire uh, market is extremely speculative right now especially with just the wide fluctuations it's it's, it's insane i can see you on <laughs> yeah and he talks about how humans have no instinctual breaks on the envy caused by mimetic desire wait what um oh, okay oh. so yeah it's really um there's not a lot of built-in human psychology that's there to slow it down now, I, I might actually question that a little bit, um, especially in terms of the type of people that today we would call neuroatypical, you know, like mm-hmm. um, a lot of the founders of companies recently, especially tech companies, mm-hmm. people would call them neuroatypical. Uh, you know, people use terms like Asperger's syndrome or whatever, but um, oftentimes, people like neurotypical people can often be different socially Mm -hmm. and they often maybe don't care as much what other people think. And so are maybe less affected by mimetic desire. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask because I don't understand these words. (laughs) So (laughs) neurotypical, Neurotypical, in my mind, is it, what neurotypical means is, you know, your brain works like a typical brain. But mm. I, uh, from context, that's that isn't what it means. So can, oh, so can you help, I was, me, can yeah, you help I was, me understand the difference? Maybe I was saying it like too fast or slurring it, but I was saying neuroatypical. Oh, neuroatypical. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, so kind of or yeah, not neurotypical. So, yeah. Okay, so so neuroatypical just means that your brain isn't working as uh, is working, but it's not what a typical brain would think, do, or behave like, right? So it's it's a very uh, outlier ish brain function. Yeah. Okay. And this is I'm I'm on my own sort of tangent right now because okay. you know the author said uh, humans have no instinctual breaks on the envy caused by mimetic desire. But okay. I think some people maybe do have less mimetic desire than others. And mimetic just means copying other people. Uh, I'm assuming oh, yes. miming, miming other people. Yeah. Yeah. That. Okay. Yes. That is. Um, that's one of the key terms. I haven't okay. used it yet, but yeah, mimetic desire. It's sort of. It comes from the same word as mime. 
Uh-huh. And uh, it is um, what Girard uses to talk about this, this copying, this desire by wanting to copy or uh, do the opposite of another person. Okay. Um, but anyway, we can move away from that tangent. That was just kind of a <laughs> random. Um, so, so he talks about this. He makes a distinction between thin desires and thick desires. Um, so thin desires are highly mimetic. They're socially derived. Uh, they can be fleeting. Mm-hmm. They can be easily blown away by the winds. Um, on the other hand, he talks about thick desires. They're rooted in something real. They've been built up over time. They have a history and a continuity, something that you, something that a person has been thinking about for a long time that they know that they deeply want, and it's not easily shaken. And um, the author believes that the market um, often operates more on thin desires than on thick desires, especially in terms of marketing. Um, He says the market is good at price discovery for thin desires, but not necessarily for thick ones. Um, And yeah, this can cause um, markets to be more driven by these these mimetic uh, forces, these, Mm. the winds of, of, what everybody else wants, just pushing you around in different directions. Hmm. So thin and thick. Yeah. So would you say that the whole Bitcoin crypto, and the reason why I bring it up because you're the expert in that, would you say that that's more of a thin desire then just because of the huge fluctuations that we've had? Um, it can be related to both. I think a lot of the crypto world in terms of, um, I mean, a lot of her, a lot of people go into it for the desire for gains mm-hmm. and they see that someone else made gains and mm-hmm. they want in on that. And so that can be relatively thin. I mean, I don't know whether the desire for money can be called thick or thin because money is the thing that gets you everything. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I do think that there's um, there's a lot of thinness in the cryptocurrency space. Mm. Um, now, in Bitcoin, I've seen some people who have who are into Bitcoin based on thick desires, uh, mm. especially you know people who believe that that free money that you know. Uh, what's the word soft money has been causing problems in society and they're looking toward uh, hard money to Mm -hmm. as a remedy. Um, And a lot of Bitcoiners talk about how if we had hard money that would change people's time preference and make them want to save for the future more Mm -hmm. because they actually have a vehicle where saving is possible the way our economy works right now saving is not possible you have to either invest or you have money that's eroding um you know 50 or 100 years ago you could actually just save your money and you would be saving money you know Mm -hmm. or you could put it into a savings account you get like some small percentage but it's it's meaningful and reasonable well i think back then it was roughly around 10 percent yeah like if we're talking about in the 80s and 90s early 90s i think it was pretty high back then compared to now yeah mm-hmm. yeah and that's because um because of the way the money worked you know you people wouldn't lend out their money for anything mm-hmm. for less than 10 percent. like mm-hmm. that was the sort of risk-free rate because it's like look this is my hard-earned money i'm not going to hand it over for less than 10 percent. now people um are lending out their money for you know two or three percent mm-hmm. not that long ago they were lending it out for one percent mm-hmm. um and but you know on a on an inflation adjusted basis they're lending it out for negative yep um which is one of the that's one of the big red flags that led me 
toward my thesis that something is very, very wrong with the world. It's just the fact that the amount of bonds mm -hmm. that are negative yielding in the world. I remember last year, the statistic was uh, $18 trillion of bonds globally were negative yielding. Wow. Yep. And that's accounting for inflation, right? So, yes. on, so on their on their coupon, it's not saying negative zero point zero zero three percent. It's it's they're saying it you're going to get two percent return, not accounting for inflation, but with inflation added three percent, four percent, whatever that is. It kills you know, them. no, actually, really? correction. Okay. That eighteen trillion dollar figure was from actual negative yielding bonds. A lot of them, you know, America's bonds so far have never been negative yielding. Okay. But in uh, a lot of European bonds, I think it started in 2019 or oh, 20, wow. maybe 2018. But yeah, okay. some of the bonds actually went negative. And I I would read um, economics blogs like uh, Tyler Cowen's blogs. Uh -huh. And a lot of economists were just scratching their heads. They were like, whoa, <laughs> this like never in a million years would we have thought that bonds could be not just negative in terms of inflation, but on their face negative and people would still buy them. Why? Why would you buy negative bond coupons? It doesn't that, make any sense. It's yes, <laughs> exactly. Something is very broken in the world. And yet to the tune of $18 trillion. What's the market cap of the market right now? Is it, is it like 20 trillion? Of like the stock market, there's, I don't there's know. just the stocks. Do we do we know stocks? Uh, maybe more like three hundred actually. Is it three hundred trillion? Holy or two hundred stock market valuation cap. That's a lot. Eighteen trillion. Yeah, I mean either yeah, it's, and it's and you astounding. have a negative value on the coupon. Like, okay, so I'm I'm gonna play I'm gonna play the other side here. So if I was an investor, right? And I know that I'm making a surplus of cash. I might want to actually get negative yields. The reason being is because with negative yields, depending on the country that you live in, you could actually write that in your tax document as a loss. Right? Mm -hmm. And so that could play a beneficial role in terms of tax write-offs. Just saying. So maybe that's why they're possibly. That, that, so that. I think a big part of it is uh, safety. Is it? It. I, I think so. The idea is that safe assets were so hard to come by uh -huh. that people would be willing to put a portion of their portfolio into uh -huh. something that was slightly negative yielding because they're essentially paying a fee for that safety. So why not just purchase like gold or something where it maintains its value, buying power? Sorry. So in terms of a portfolio, um, you want diversification. Okay. So a lot of those people probably do have some gold in their portfolio. Okay. Um, but now the question I thought you might ask is why not just the actual money? Like that. Like so, put it in so, a savings account? Like, um, like, let's say, I think maybe Germany was one of the countries that had negative yielding bonds. So I'm going to buy German bonds negatively. Why don't I just get like the German money? Well, I guess euros would be it. Why not just okay. like pile it up, you know? Okay. Because that would be approximately the same, except it would be not negative yielding. Hmm. Okay. So that I don't know. But um, anyway, I know it, it definitely relates to safety. And okay. there was essentially a lack of safe assets that were positively yielding. And so a lot of, if you look at portfolio theory, you want to have it diversified and you want to sort of mix your assets based on the different levels of safety that you want. Yeah, your risk tolerance, got it. So, yeah, you might just want to say, look, I'm going to keep some negative yielding bonds. I've also got maybe, you know, in my portfolio, I've also got some stocks and hopefully that will balance out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's so weird. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, continue with the book. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> We're going on a lot of tangents. I love it. Yeah. Um, 
All right, so we talked about thin and thick. So he talks about tactics to avoid the mimesis. Um, and so one of the things he actually recommends is meditation, which uh, yes. I think we've talked about before. Yes. Um, and he talks about, um, you know, you can, there are ways to try and cut through mimesis and make sure that you are not just being pushed around. And one of them might, you would generally want to examine your desires and try to see, try to identify that you're being pushed and pulled in a mimetic direction. Um, and meditative thought can help you see more of the possibilities, mm -hmm. uh, things that you had missed. You know, it'll it'll open you up. It's it's a good way to sort of brainstorm and get out of the box. Um, he brought up a whole list of uh, tactics to to try and avoid mimesis. I only wrote down a few of them. So like another one of them. Oh, go ahead. So, uh, you know, finish your thought, then I'll ask this question. Um, well, I was going to transition to a, another tactic. So, okay. So, on the topic of meditation, do you do it? Uh, I do. You do? Awesome. Yeah. Because I do too. So, I, and I was just talking uh, about meditation briefly on the YouTube video I just published. But what are your thoughts on meditation, like overall? Uh, because I know Ray Dalio is a firm proprietor of meditation. He does like 60 minutes every morning. I know Tony Robbins, he, he does meditation daily and every successful person that I, I generally follow or, uh, or keep an eye on most of them. I, I want to say about 80% of them will always recommend meditation. So what is meditation to you? Like um, how, how would you describe what meditation is? Uh, like, hmm. is it, is it really, uh, well, actually, you know, I, I don't want to say anymore, but what, what is your opinion on it? There's a variety of different things. I guess it would be a mental practice okay. um, that calms the mind. Um, it's generally, so I actually almost want to start going into the, uh, some of the neuroscience of it that I learned. Okay. So essentially um, there is a part of your mind called the default mode network. I won't use too much jargon, but um, the default mode network is the part of your brain that kicks on when you're not doing something else with your brain. Yes. And it causes you to start ruminating and pondering about, uh, you know, what you're going to have for lunch or what that person said to you the other day. It gets you going with all these ideas. Um, and you, you know, it's fine for that. That is a, that is a, good thing that your brain does that, but occasionally you might want to take a break and your brain often will not naturally take a break. Mm. Um, and so a trick that people have figured out is that if you devote your attention to something, it will send small inhibitory signals to the default mode network and mm -hmm. tell it quietly to stop doing its thing. And so we're going to quiet down now. And the if you can focus your attention and keep using your attention in a sustained way for 5, 10, 15 minutes, then those inhibitory signals add up and your, your default mode network will really calm down. Mm. And that can be, it's a very pleasant experience. It's like your mind taking a little break. Mm -hmm. um, I think Alan Watts uh, talked about how it's, it can be kind of like your brain getting a massage. Mm -hmm. I remember when I first started meditating, I just felt like, oh man, it, it, it had that feeling like getting a massage. Like it was just this sort of relief and some of the knots were, were undone. But anyways, does that resonate with your experience? No, actually. <laughs> uh -huh. okay. yeah, because, because my definition of meditation is training your mind. And so I've actually had a, it, it's, overlapping but it's it's an opposite way where 
you know, I would spend my morning and I'll, and I watched this YouTube video. I forgot who the guy was. He was like one of the top ranking monks uh, that was teaching people what meditation is to him. And he was talking about the monkey mind and mm-hmm. how your mind is always wandering off thinking about stuff just like what you were saying the default mode right you're pondering and uh, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of noise in your mind and so he says that through meditation the idea is not to go om 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 you know and, and just keep saying that the idea is to really pinpoint one thing to focus on again exactly what you're saying and train your mind to extend that period of focus. So it's like, uh, and I relate this to working out a lot because, uh, you know, I, I work out, I go to the gym and it's, it's a lot of exercising your brain to focus. And what I found that as I'm exercising my brain to focus more, I'm not, I find myself not being uh, emotionally pulled a lot of the times because, you know, my, my, my mind is is just i don't know how to say it but it feels more clear right so throughout the day you know uh and and you've heard this expression where people push your buttons and it just gives you an automatic response right Mm. and so for me what meditation does is it's helped cleared my mind and it's more of a i guess you could say it's like a massage but for me it's more of a serene tranquil type of an approach not really of a massage for my brain. It's it's just overall keeps me at a very centered balance where I'm going through my day. I know that this event is pushing one of my buttons and I don't have to respond to it because I'm more aware of what that event is doing. And so I'm able to kind of maneuver around the event itself and, and just stay, maintain focus, maintain, you know, a hawkish vision on what I'm trying to do right at this moment. Um, and so that, that's what I find meditation is. It's more of a training regiment for your brain. I guess you could say it's relaxing, but for me, <laughs> so it's, it's a very different, uh, different feel, but I, I, I really like it. And even when we're playing the game of go, you know, go is very intense, right? And when we're, we're battling it out on the board, you have to maintain calmness. Otherwise you're going to give away uh, to your opponent what your, what's your internal battle. Right. And so that, that, that to me is what really meditation is. I know I kind of went on a huge tangent on it, but, uh, uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. Is that kind of in tune with what you're saying too? Um, yes. I, I think there's an yes. overlap, but I think our perspective and our receiving is slightly altered just because that's our personality. Maybe. Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe I was trying to explain it in my own idiosyncratic way, but I agree with everything you said. I think, yeah, training your mind and Mm -hmm. learning that you don't have to react or that you don't have to react in particular ways. Yeah. That's Mm -hmm. definitely uh, the key. Well, especially in investing, when we're seeing huge fluctuations, I mean, if you're going to see your portfolio go down 50%, you, you have to be very strong emotionally to withstand those enormous fluctuations. I mean, and, and what we're seeing right now is that, you know, people are going in very speculatively. And when they're seeing their, their portfolio drop 20%, they're going to be like, sell, 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 sell. I mean, that's what happened with me with my initial Tesla investment. And uh, <laughs> that didn't go so well for me. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yep. All right. So I think probably the last uh, general idea uh, to talk about would be the idea of the scapegoating mechanism. Hmm. So when people, you know, were all doing this... Uh, thing where we we want to either copy other people people that we consider to be the good crowd or we get this negative attitude towards certain people um in some cases what we'll find is that there's a particular person that is like the villain and we all join this gigantic team that has to destroy the villain 
Mm. Um, it's something that happens time and time again throughout history. Um, uh, nearly, so uh, a quote from the book, he says, nearly all people are religious in the sense that they subconsciously believe that sacrifice brings peace. So there's this, consider the how ingrained sacrificial thinking is in our psyche. If only we could destroy that other political party, that other company, those terrorists, that troublemaker, that fast food joint next door that has caused me to gain 10 pounds, everything would be better. The sacrifice always seems right and proper. Our violence is good violence. The violence of the other side is always bad. So, so we get into this sacrificial thing, right? We'll all just start looking at some group or some person and just say, that's the problem. We need to destroy that. Mm -hmm. um, now, uh, he, Girard makes a lot of interesting points about, about sacrifice and the scapegoating mechanism. Um, he says, for many years, sacrificial rituals were so effective that they hindered scientific progress. We didn't stop burning witches because we invented science. We th he thinks we invented science because we stopped burning witches. We used to blame droughts on witches. Once we stopped blaming witches, we looked for scientific explanations for drought. Mm. Um, now, from the perspective of the crowd, the scapegoat mechanism is entirely rational. So when scapegoats become the sacred center around which a culture turns, actual rationality takes the back seat. Yes, I completely agree with that yeah so I this mean, um yeah. i mean watching the yep. political things that have been happening for the last i don't know five six years it's just been uh, there's something i don't know how much we want to talk about politics because there's something that just <laughs> i find so unfortunate about the way politics has worked for the last five years regardless of which side you're on it's just yeah. like who like every day we have a new thing that we have to demonize you know every it's like scapegoat after scapegoat it's almost like it's almost like the people who run the media and the parties basically figured out this scapegoat thing that i'm talking about and just weaponized it yep and it's it's unfortunate because you know when i take interest in politics it's because i want to have like an intellectual discussion you know i want to like hear people debate the merits of different policies and and their different political philosophies and stuff and then it's when you know when i engage in politics oftentimes it's just people coming up to me and saying like hey do you hate the person i hate oh if you don't i'm gonna be so mad and it's yeah. just like oh well like no i don't know you know I just want to like drop out, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that that's the whole point of this podcast too. I mean, we want to have thoughtful disagreements, at least what Ray Dalio coins as thoughtful disagreement, where we can disagree and have an actual meaningful discussion. Okay. Well, if you don't like this politician, what are your reasons besides the surface reasons? Uh, what are some policies that person is uh, invoking and why do you agree or disagree with that i mean that's i think that's like the type of discussion you're looking for right mm -hmm. uh versus what you just said hey if you don't like this person you're not my friend anymore yep um now another interesting direction that gerard goes with this is he talks about um attempts to subvert the scapegoat mess uh mechanism um he says, what makes the scapegoat mechanism possible is the idea that you are not capable of it, right? It, it's kind of, it needs to be based on this illusion that you're not actually uh, just being whipped up as a crowd. Because when people see themselves that way, they don't want to act that way, you know? Um, and Girard talks a lot about uh, Christianity and the idea that basically... Christianity was trying to shut down the scapegoat mechanism by providing sort of a final scapegoat mm. and also kind of exposing the scapegoat mechanism as bad and showing how it works. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a really interesting sort of discussion. Um, and 
so through that, he talks about how the scapegoat mechanism has been somewhat subverted and kind of turned around. And one of the things we'll see in society today is that now people will often turn to a scapegoat and provide them with support. Uh, also in this sort of mimetic way, though they can, you can still be sort of a mob mentality, but people can almost get into this idea of being uh, the opposite of a scapegoat. Like if someone, if they see someone being scapegoated, they might form a team of support of the scapegoat, you know, and then try to flip it around and scapegoat the other side. Um, so it's like an underdog story kind of thing. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was, was very interesting. Well, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's actually really interesting because that's basically social media platforms today. I mean, if you look at how a lot of the big name stars made it, a lot of times there was a route rivalry in between, right? So mm-hmm. a lot of the gaming industry, the Twitch, uh, streamers, uh, you know, at first, you know, they're they're building their own channel, but then they're competing with another channel and they bring in more viewership because now there's a competition, there's a rivalry and people want to be a part of the underdog story or want to be a part of the winning team, whatever you have it. And you also see that on, you know, YouTube videos, you see that on TikTok. And, and I think that's also how Logan Paul and Jake Paul built their fan base is that they were competing against each other. They were both brothers and they were competing against each other. And I remember watching a YouTube video way back when where uh, both of their fan bases are like bashing against the opposing brother. Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, this, this guy is the better brother, yada, yada, yada. And so they built that. And in real life, they're brothers. They get along very fine. But they built that sort of competition, social competition, and they were just able to catapult their channel, their their profile, to to like extreme measures. And and now they're like one of the biggest names uh, for the younger generation. At least for me, you know, somehow I, I'm actually able to know who they are too, which is kind of weird to say. But you know, um, I don't follow them. But it, it, it was just a very interesting story, and that goes with the idea of the scapegoat. Um, at least that I'm seeing today, and we also see that. I think in the investing world too, uh, with Tesla, Tesla being the uh, the scapegoat for the big energy companies, right? Because electric vehicles, like nothing back then, but now you know Elon built it in a way where people want to jump in uh, and pretty much scapegoat now the oil companies rather than the electric company. So, my two cents. Yeah, no, that kind of reminded me of a, a story from the book. Uh, a story about Ferrari and Lamborghini. Mm. Um, so Ferrari at the time was a sports car maker in Italy and mm-hmm. Lamborghini was a tractor maker mm-hmm. and uh, he was pretty well off. So he owned a Ferrari and he would drive his Ferrari and he would always have issues with the clutch and he was, he would always have to take in and get the clutch fixed. And so um, one day he opened it up in his own shop and found that the clutch that was being used was the same clutch that he used in his tractors. And as to be used in a sports car, he thought that was kind of mediocre. You could get a much better clutch to be, to Mm -hmm. use in the sports car. So he went over to Ferrari and you know had a meeting with him and told him what he thought and for some reason the two guys just got super angry at each other Mm. and ferrari said you know what you know this is bs my my clutch is awesome my car is awesome you don't know what you're talking about and lamborghini got angry and said you know no you don't know what you're talking about and came away from that meeting and said you know what i could do better than him i'm gonna Mm. beat him at his own game and so he let that rivalry drive him to create uh, the Lamborghini car company and create a better car than Ferrari, which at the time, most people believed, yeah, he, he did. He nailed it. He, he did, in fact, create a better car than Ferrari. And so pretty soon, a lot of his engineers, well, pretty soon, like within a few years, 
his engineers were coming to him and saying, you know what, we need to get into the auto racing game. That we need to actually uh, put a team for maybe it was Le Mans or whatever, but whatever the uh, the sort of Formula One racing was at the time. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is Lamborghini thought about this and he said, you know, I think this rivalry needs to have limits. I don't want to keep competing with Ferrari until, you know, I don't, I've let it drive me enough. I've succeeded. And now I don't want to get into the race car game, which is going to be a deeper game and tougher to get out of. And so for a long time, Lamborghini actually did not uh, send a team to, to the race car. Uh, so so he what's interesting about that story is he let the rivalry drive him but then he like put a limit on it he knew that for himself and where he was at he would be crossing a line and taking it too far if he did that now eventually lamborghini did get into race cars but at the time i just think that was interesting that he he almost like he was conscious of it all along, really, that he, he let his anger drive him to get into it. And then he also saw when he needed to get out. Hmm. Uh, do you have any of those tendencies today, Sean? Because um, I, I, as you're talking about that, it's like, you know, that that's partly the reason why I went into learning about investing on my own is because I, I got really like frustrated not knowing and everyone else around me was doing way better. And so that that was like my internal push to really learn about investments and value investing, or at least my style that I liked, which is value investing. And it's very interesting. Uh, at least that's that was the story that reminded me of myself and why I started doing all of this. But what about you? Um, for me less like that especially okay. in investing <clears throat> i think um um kind of what drove me in investing was actually that when i was younger I, my dad had me put like i had 500 bucks or so to save and my dad had me put in a mutual fund mm. and i saw gains oh, okay. and so i sort of understood the logic of it mm. from a young age and um also having gone to business school you know kind of put me in that <laughs> frame of mind yeah um now i do think have some of these rivalrous tendencies like you know i got into the game of go and i just out of my own fascination with the game i got up to about 10k mm-hmm. um on your and, own mind you on your own so that's phenomenal to yeah do pretty much i yeah. mean yeah i did you know you can i've, I've gone on reddit to get like some games reviewed mm-hmm. and then um but yeah, pretty much on my own, you know, with the tools, with the mm-hmm. the problem sets and stuff that are available and playing on OGS. Um, and but what I've noticed is having gone to the Go meetups, mm-hmm. I've now been asking myself, maybe playing with this group of people can now inspire me to get better. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the best player in the group, you know, he's about five stones better than you and me. Yep, I'm thinking. I could get five stones better. It would take time, but mm-hmm. you know, I probably could. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder, should I, and, and I could, if I really wanted to do that, I would probably tap into that rivalry. I would just like put my foot down and say, you know what, I'm going to get better. I'm going to be the best person in this club. And then that could, could drive me. You know? Sean, once you do that, you know, you're going to be competing with me because once yes. I sense a, a, a mode of rivalry, I'm, I, uh, I'm hyper competitive in that sense, and I've been trying not to be. But if you're gonna go there, let's do it. <laughs> let's go. No, yes, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's well, well. Yeah, that's the thing is, I've been wondering whether I should, uh, whether I should light the fuse on that bomb <laughs> because I know that, that other people would uh, would respond that way. You know, um, yeah, and especially you know the person in the club who's the best. I'm kind of wondering like how much effort would it require of him to just stay ahead of us? <laughs> and, then, well, and then it's unstoppable. Right? It, it's an underdog story, right? So yeah. you, you might be on the top of the top of the throne for now, but you, you're, you're going to get comfortable and the underdog who's striving is going to push further. 
at least that's always the, the 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 generic story that happens with an underdog. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh man, I'm getting excited. Okay, well we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, so anything else that uh, that in the book of wanting is there any other concept that really stuck out? Uh, stood out, not stuck out, stood out and uh really caught your eye at all um so i think i think we've covered it pretty well nice um yeah one thing i have in my notes here is he says to live with desire is to live with tension Mm. i thought that was a very interesting thing especially in light of uh the meditation discussion well Um, okay so what does he mean by tension because i i have an image in my brain right now and the image is pretty much your desire is tugging you mm-hmm. forward. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm imagining I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm standing here. The desire is pulling on my shirt and it's pulling me with tension towards a, a further down the road goal kind of thing. And that, that's the image that pops in. I, I don't know about you, but. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. yeah, the desire, like in some, um, you know, in terms of meditation, I've learned a lot of that in the context of Buddhism, mm-hmm. where the goal is to uh, try and uh, try and get outside of that desire or try and release the desire for a second. Mm-hmm. And it could be very calming, like essentially sitting there for a little bit without mm-hmm. having desires mm-hmm. is a release of tension that that. Uh, can be very good for the mind, I think. Mm. But anyways, that's. I kind wonder of if I that's what of. they mean by enlightened state in terms of Buddhism. But yes, <laughs> it could be. Yeah, yeah. Especially if you could, if you could sustain it for a really long time. I think if you could really walk around your whole day without desires, you would be. That would be one of the definitions of Buddhist enlightenment. I don't know if it's possible. <laughs> Well, many many masters spend countless decades trying to reach that. So yeah. Mm-hmm. But anyways, anyways, I think that pretty much covers everything in the book that awesome. I've wanted. I mean, there's a ton of things in the book that I did not mention, things that I didn't write down. Um, mm-hmm. There's really interesting stories around Michelin starred restaurants, which I'll you know save as a tantalizing thing for anyone who wants to get the book. <laughs> um, yeah, I would highly recommend the book, and there's a bunch of stuff that I didn't okay. really do justice. You know, this kind of reminds me of a book that I read about a year, two years back. And I think this will be a good uh, podcast episode, maybe in the near future. It's called A Trillion Dollar Coach by Bill Campbell. Uh, not not from Bill Campbell, because Bill Campbell has passed away, but it's, it's from his students. And most of his students uh, that he's trained were uh, startup company people i mean they were at silicon valley when the the whole thing exploded and so uh, they brought in bill campbell who was a um a football coach a middle school football coach and they brought him in as as a coach for themselves uh to go through um the ups and downs of of what what it's like to be in a corporate world uh, team building as well as relationship building i think that's uh that that's something that really opened my eye at least in terms of my own investment philosophy and, and i think that that would be a cool book to share uh with you guys next time when we do a book review so yeah mm-hmm. sounds good so i'm just gonna leave it at that because i, I don't want to spoil too much otherwise we're gonna do a whole another two hours on this so <laughs> <laughs> anyways i think that's a good wrap up for today at least for this episode. What what say you? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So thank you guys, everyone, so much for listening in. Uh, Hopefully you guys enjoyed a little tangents while uh, Sean was explaining um, the different uh, ideas that he found interesting in the book. And uh, if you guys like this, please leave a comment down below. uh, Share us with uh, what books you guys are interested in. And until next time, don't trade a dollar for a penny right yes. don't trade a dollar for a penny, <laughs> don't right? a dollar don't for a penny. <laughs> all right guys everyone take care see ya <laughs> <laughs>